0: Good morning, good to see you, good to hear you. Um, can we give uh, Brett and Grace Marie and the band just another hand, like, oh. I said in Run Through this morning, it's not fair that you guys do that before the sermon. I have to fight tears back, because I don't want to come up like this blubbering mess, and I'm like, what's wrong with that guy? thought he had some shred of masculinity about him. <clears throat> I'm so excited to be here and to talk about gratitude, about growing our gratitude today. And I thought we'd start off just a little bit differently Um, for those of you here in the room. uh, I think it'll work with 1045. You're the sleep-in Christian, so I think this will be all right. You know what I'm saying? My children are there too. Hello, children, they're watching. They uh, slept in as well. So um, I would just like to have some collective gratitude. And if you're joining us online, maybe you can type this in the comments what are you grateful for today? What are you grateful for? Let's just shout it out. Jesus. Grateful for Jesus, yes. Family. family, grateful for family. She stole yours, didn't she? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what else? Being what? Who's football? College, football? College football, it's back in full effect. That's right, I'm grateful for that. Being healthy, being healthy. Being healthy. I'm reminded that... Um, when I'm healthy, I take it for granted. But when I'm sick, what's the one thing a sick person wants? It's to be healthy. What else? Teachers, absolutely. In fact, can we just pause for a moment and also thank those who are on the front lines first responders, nurses, doctors that right now are <laughs> fighting a really tough battle? Yeah, they are out there um, doing great work, and we pray for them. Anyone else? Freedom, our country, it is a really great country. We have challenges, but every country has challenges. Every organization has challenges, but it is a really great country. What else? We are a people of gratitude. We express gratitude, and when we do this, this shapes who we are. It shapes how we see the world. It actually shapes our affections and emotions, and I'm excited to talk about gratitude today. And what we did, I think, was important because we're not just going to talk about gratitude. We're to express gratitude to and with each other. I looked up a website this week. It was a life hack, and it was 13 bad habits you should stop right now. Some of you may hit all 13. I won't go into all of them, but uh, one of them was stress eating. Any stress eaters out there? A little chocolate, a little ice cream. All right. How about nail biting? Any nail biters? People don't know this, but I actually sucked my thumb until the third grade. Super embarrassing. And I was like, am I ever going to stop it? My parents were like, is he ever going to stop it? I did. Um, Too much TV. I think this was written pre-pandemic because I'm like, give us a break. What else are we going to do? They said a bad habit we should stop is junk food. In parenthesis, diet soda. (laughs) <laughs> in case you had to be specific, because it's an oxymoron, if it says diet in front of it and then it says soda, it's not healthy for you. It's like sugar free ice cream. And I'm like, why don't you just go for it? Eat the real stuff. And I think some of the people that wrote this, they just probably don't have very much fun in their life. Junk food. Cheez-Its are so good. Gosh, I didn't know I'd get a lot of amens on that one, but that's the truth. And the last couple ones that they said, these are habits you gotta stop now is hanging out with naysayers and then always focusing on the negative. Oof, always focusing on the negative. All my Enneagram ones, twos, fours, sixes, that's us. We're like, oh yeah, everything's going wrong and how many things can we, we gotta fix and look at all the problems there are in the world or with myself or look at all the problems there are with you, we gotta fix you and then we'll be better always focusing on the negative. And the reality is this, we can be a people who count our blessings or complain about our burdens. You like that? That's an original Jeff Kersey right there. So I give him 100% credit. We can be a people who count our blessings or complain about our burdens. We're in the series called Holy Habits. And my assumption is this, is if gratitude is a holy habit, then ingratitude is an unholy habit. And last week, Jeff did a great job kicking us off and talking about being intentional. That really right now, who we are today and the way we live our lives today, we are actually a result of a collective of small choices that we've been making for a long time. Do you hear what I mean? We are a result, whether we know it or not, Whether our habits are intentional or unintentional, we are all creatures of habit, and who we are and where we are and our attitudes that we have today are actually a result of choices and a momentum of choices that we've all been making for some time, sometimes completely unaware. C.S. Lewis put it like this. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. In these small little choices, we are transforming that central thing, us, our essence, into a creature fit for heaven or a creature fit for hell. And in a day and age when authenticity has become such a high value, and we say, well, I'm just gonna, you know, speak and say exactly what I'm feeling and exactly what's going on inside because I've got to be true to myself. The wisdom of Proverbs confronts us and says, you can actually change those internal stances and affections by these small choices that you make. Choices shape your character and your character either fits you for heaven or fits you for hell. Which will we choose? Which will we choose? Our brains, gratitude is, is difficult. It's challenging. Here's the challenge. Our, our brains are actually hardwired with a negativity bias. We are hardwired to be negative people. It makes us focus on what is wrong with our environment. We just naturally do this. I don't know if any of you uh, have moved recently. This is crazy, crazy housing market. People are moving right and left and you get into a new house and unless you built it, it's not really new. It's used, but we never say that, right? Hey, how's a new house? Oh, it's a used house. It was a used one. People lived there before and they hung a lot of pictures on this wall And I didn't really notice it when we were going through the look through, you know what I'm saying? And then you move into the house and you're like, oh my gosh, we missed so many imperfections in this place. And we're gonna have to patch all these holes up and we gotta paint. And did you see that door? It's not even the same style as the other doors, all these things you miss. And then you're sitting in your house and you're getting really, really frustrated because you're focusing on all the things you have to fix and all the imperfections. We're hardwired to look at our environment and see what's wrong with it. And the real danger is that we don't just do it with something like a house, we do it with relationships. We do it with our spouse. We see all the negative weaknesses and the challenges and the struggles and the sins. We look at our kids, we look at our family, we look at church. I wonder how many marriages have been shipwrecked by ingratitude. I wonder how many people have left the faith because they built up a bitterness towards the church or towards God and they just couldn't see the good anymore ingratitude is easy. It's the path of least resistance left to our own devices. We will be a people who cultivate ingratitude. Science tells us that negative thoughts stick to our brains like Velcro, but positive thoughts slip off like toast on Teflon. That's why it's so important that we continue to encourage each other. We continue to speak truth to each other. We continue to what? Edify. That's an old spiritual word. Build each other up. You can do it. I believe in you. These are your strengths. These are your gifts. We're gonna focus on those. I see the other things, but I'm gonna speak life into your life. That's what God wants us to be. And if we're always focused on what is wrong, we're rarely focused on what is good. You like that one? That's the Chad Myers original. (laughs) I liked it. If we're always focused on what is wrong, we're really focused on what is good. And the reality is this, there's so much good in and around us. So let's talk about gratitude today. Just a few things that we need to know about gratitude and a few things that that will cause us to do so that we might be a genuinely, not fake, but a genuinely grateful people. The first thing is this, gratitude is God's will for our goodness. It's God's will for our goodness. God is a lovingly heavenly Father, a benevolent heavenly Father. He says, I want what's best for you. Any trials or suffering that may come your way is not intended to harm you, but to be for your good. I want to bless you. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, this is the message version. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Jesus Christ to live. This is the ESV version. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Key phrase, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. There's this connection between a people who are a rejoicing people, a joy-filled people. There's a connection between the joy-filled people and the people that can give thanks in all circumstances. And what's the hinge? I think it's prayer. Pray without ceasing. Be a people that are filled with joy and be a people that are marked by gratitude. Be a people that... Know that we can see the negative. We know that we can see the weaknesses. We are not living with blinders on. Christians do not live with blinders on. Let's see the reality for what it is, but let's also find the good. You say, well, it's really hard to find the good. There's so many things going on. My life, you don't even understand my life. Look at my circumstances. Look at my boss. Somebody at the nine o'clock said they were thankful for their job. Nobody in 1045 said, I'm thankful for my job. <laughs> I found that funny. <laughs> You don't even know my job or my boss or my circumstances. And I would just say to you, like Rafiki said to Simba, you didn't know I was going to go Lion King on you. Like Rafiki said to Simba, when he was looking for his father, he touched the pool and he said, look harder. Look harder. It's there. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now notice he doesn't say give thanks in every little detail. In every single thing. Here's why. Because there are things we're not grateful for and we shouldn't be grateful for. We're not grateful for evil. I'm not grateful for a pandemic. I'm not grateful that people are losing their lives. We're not grateful for when people sin against us. We're not grateful for the loss of loved ones. We are not grateful for those things. And yet those things almost always happen inside of a context, inside of a capsule. So if we're gonna be people of gratitude, we grieve those things because grief's not an enemy of gratitude, but we also at the same time look hard for the good in and around that circumstance. Where is it? And we find it. We are complex, deep people. That's what God wants us to be. And we're able to hold those both in tension. Saying, yeah, I don't like this circumstance. I don't like what happened, but I'm, God, I can find gratitude here. There is a way. And we're, it's not cheap gratitude, right? It's not cheap gratitude. Some of us have done this. This gets in the way of gratitude. Some of us, and if you're a parent, you're probably guilty of it. I've used this mechanism a time or two. And uh, it, it, it's called the, the worse off scenario move. You know what I mean? Like you gave your kids broccoli and not french fries, and you wouldn't give them that diet soda, and uh, they, got, they got milk or water or something. They begin to complain, and you want to teach them to be grateful, and so what you do is you say something like this. You know what? You should be really grateful because other people in parts of the world don't even have food like this. Come on. You're, I know you've said it, and the reality is this. I have rarely seen that inspire gratitude. Gratitude. God doesn't want us to be gratitude professors, but gratitude practitioners. That inspires other people to gratitude. Not teaching them and telling them where they have to be grateful, but showing them ourselves how we have done the hard work of finding genuine gratitude. Know what else gets in the way of gratitude? Regret. We look at the past and we look at our sins and we look at our weaknesses and we still harbor all this bitterness and resentment and shame about it. And we look back and and, and we feel like, oh man, I don't know how God could ever use that. Look at what I've done. And God says, no, 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 no. I've covered that with my grace. And in fact, I'm a God who uses mess ups I'm a God who uses sins and struggles. And in fact, I'm gonna use those to get you where you are today and to take you where you need to be tomorrow. So don't reject those from your past, bring them in. And I don't know how to do that. That's hard to do, to look back and say, I'm gonna integrate those into my life and find some sense of gratitude, even for my own mistakes. I think those people are whole people and I would love to figure out how to do that. Self-absorption gets in the way of gratitude. What gets in the way of your gratitude? What gets in the way? God wants us to be a grateful people. I think gratitude is the key that unlocks a door to other graces. It's a key, and there's a few keys. There's a key that unlocks a door to other graces, and I think gratitude is a key one. And why why would I say that? There was a, a study done in 2015 it was a neuroscience study. It was this experiment, and they were measuring brain waves upon the participants, and they got the participants together, and they asked them to simply imagine themselves as Holocaust survivors who had received food and shelter from a stranger. Just imagine it. Holocaust survivors who had received food and shelter from a stranger, and then they began to feel grateful. And in their experience of feeling grateful and expressing gratitude, they, they marked off what regions of the brain lit up, and this is what they found when they began to feel and express that gratitude the activity lit up these brain these parts of their brain regions associated with moral cognition perspective and reward the implications are this what if being a people who feel and express gratitude actually makes us more morally conscious helps us to grow in other areas into Christ's likeness. It gives us accurate perspective or more accurate perspective. It enlarges our ability to critically think. And it also prepares us to receive and anticipate the other goodness, the reward that God has for us. This is fascinating. Gratitude is God's will for our goodness. He wants us to be shaped into those heavenly creatures. Secondly, gratitude grounds us in God's reality. Gratitude grounds us in God's reality. You may remember the story of the people of God through Joseph. Joseph became second in command over Egypt, and his family moved there, and they multiplied, and they had children and grandchildren. They became a great and powerful nation. The only problem was is that they were slaves, because another pharaoh rose up, and he decided to oppress the Hebrew people. So he used and abused his power to oppress them, and uh, finally, they cried out, probably about a million, two million people, some scholars think. They cried out to the Lord. God heard them. He was going to redeem them. He sends Moses through Moses and Aaron. God wins victory over the Egyptian gods. They're set free, uh, they cross the Red Sea, they are to go into the promised land so that he could be their God, they could be his people, and for the purpose that they might be a billboard to the nations around them that said something like this, this is new humanity, don't you want to come and get some of it? This is what redeemed humanity looks like, don't you want in on it? And yet they didn't quite get to the promised land immediately, you know. They took the long way. Some of us, we got to learn the hard way. They learned the hard way. And so because of doubt and unbelief, they didn't enter the promised land right when they should. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God wanted to teach them to be dependent people, and he wanted to humble them. And because of that, he provided for them every day. He provided what's called manna. In the morning, some, some scholars think it's like uh, this wafer bread. Uh, some people have popularly said, oh, it's like Frosted Flakes. Probably not that sweet. Uh, but in the evening, he provided quail. So there's bread and there's bird each morning and each night for them to eat. And we come to this passage that the Egyptians are, or the Israelites are frustrated with what is going on. And they say this in Exodus 16, one through three. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Zin which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Such a great word, grumbled. The Israelites said to them, "'If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, "'there we sat around pots of meat "'and ate all the food we wanted.'" But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Leadership is often very unrewarding, as you know. In another passage, it says, We wish we had died there because, you know, there at least we had meat and we had seasoning like onions and leeks to season the food with, Moses but you brought us out here to starve and die. Quite dramatic. And we look at this and we're the outside looking in and we think to ourselves, something's off. That sounds legitimately crazy. Like that sounds like insanity. Let me just talk back to you you know what, let me just tell this, let me, let me interpret what I'm hearing for you and you tell me if I heard you correctly. You would rather be in slavery. You would rather be oppressed by a ruthless and brutal taskmaster, a pagan. You would rather have yourself, your children and your children's children die and that's your life as opposed to being free and to be under God's reign and gracious rule. That's what you would like. And that's what they say. And they complain about the food. For all of you servers out there, you know exactly what that's like. People complaining about the food. Here's the reality. Ingratitude hijacks our perspective. Ingratitude hijacks our perspective of reality. When we begin to let a seed of ingratitude grow, it begins to take root, it begins to get momentum, And then it makes our eyes foggy and we don't see God for who he is and we don't see our situation for what it is and we don't see others for who they are. And we begin to complain and we build a culture of complaining and then it builds into this toxicity and we're so captivated by it. And we begin to say things like, it was way better back there. I wish we would have died. And the reality is when anyone goes through a major transition like this, I mean, think about this. This is what they had known. And now they're coming into all this unknown and uncertainty. Whenever you go through this in a season of marriage, whenever you go through this in a season of faith, whenever a culture or a country goes through this, it's very destabilizing. So the natural tendency for all of us is to do something like this. Wow. Do you remember how good it used to be? And we began to idealize the past. And the challenge with that is this. When we're always pining for the past, we're not finding purpose in the present. And I know that the church has faced some tough times. In the last decade, the culture has radically shifted so Fast, more rapidly than we have measured in the history that we know beforehand. The cultural norms and the cultural values and the signaling has shifted so fast. And Judeo Christian values, it seemed, were at the center of the culture and the center of entertainment. And now it seems like everything is at the fringes and we were not ready for it. So it's like we got knocked with the uppercut and we're reeling and the church is backpedaling and we're trying to figure out who we are and how do we take God's mission forward. But God's people will find our footing. We will find our footing and we will once again continue to reach out with hope and grace and truth, but it's a difficult navigation. And the great temptation is to be like, we just got to go backwards. But the reality is this, we're not going backwards. We've got to figure out how to go forwards. Well, we got to figure out how to adapt now. God's here in the present. And he says, I'm doing new things. I want you to join me. Ingratitude hijacks our perspective. It changes the nature of reality. Gratitude grounds us in God's reality. There was a season in my life, gratitude doesn't come naturally for me. There was a season in my life where I cultivated a culture of complaining. I began to be very frustrated about some things, frustrated about my situation. I began to get frustrated about work. I began to figure out all the things that needed to be changed. Well, if we would just change this, then it would be easier for me and it would be easier for them. And look, we just got to make these changes. And these, these employees are frustrated. And if we just did this, then it would be easier and better. And why doesn't everybody see this? And I began to build up this culture and this momentum of complaining. And guess what? I found others who saw the same things. Isn't that funny? And we began to have connections, but they were connections over complaining, and it began to build up into this internal toxic environment in my own life. And I began to spread that into my marriage, seeing all the weaknesses and frailties. And if you just fix this, then I'd be better. I began to see that in my own situation. And what happened was just as Lewis described. I was miserable, and I created my own little existential hell on earth, and I felt it every day and it hijacked my perspective I was angry I was depressed I was frustrated I couldn't see straight it hijacked my perspective of reality and it took God's grace to help me realize that we were never meant to do that alone we were never meant to be a people of gratitude alone that's why I'm so happy that out there in the Atrium, you see a bunch of tables for groups and Sunday schools. We are meant to have community around us saying those encouraging things to us, building us up, offering gratitude, empathizing with us when things are hard, but also listening to us until we find that gratitude. And so we are excited about you being involved in those groups, not so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look how amazing we are, but look, we all need this together. And we really do believe we're better together. We need each other because if you're anything like me, you get lost on your own. It's easy. Think about it like this. This was a people of God who was supposed to be a billboard. And if you were an outsider and you went to a church service that day with the Israelites and all you heard was them griping about the bread in the morning and the bird in the evening, And do you remember when we had filet with all the seasoning? I wish we would have died. This is a terrible situation. Would you want to be a part of that place? Where would you rather work? In a culture that strategizes together, appreciates each other, sees where we need to change and grow, but expresses gratitude? Or in a culture that meets together, just tears each other down and tears everything down. Where would you rather be a part of? The answer is obvious. There is a relational, there is a missional connection to us being the body of Christ and being a grateful people. Mr. Rogers in 1997, he won an Emmy and it was the Lifetime Achievement Award. Who doesn't love Mr. Rogers? And uh, he was at, this was his acceptance speech. If you haven't looked it up, I do encourage. He's about three minutes long. And he gets up to accept the Lifetime Achievement Award and he stands up and people are, They love him, they're clapping, they're honoring him, they're grateful for him, and do you know what he says? He stands up and he says, I had a lot of help getting here. I had a lot of people help me get to this place and I'm so grateful for them. Then he says this, nobody was ready for it. He said, and I bet you had a lot of help getting to where you are too. Why don't we take 10 seconds of silence and let's just express our gratitude for those who've helped us along the way. He said, you be silent and express your gratitude. I'll keep the time. And then he marked 10 seconds of silence and people expressed their gratitude. And the camera panned out afterwards. People are sobbing, they're crying, tears are running down their cheeks he concludes with a very brief few sentences and then he says, may God be with you all and everyone just stands up and says, thank you. Thank you for marking these moments with gratitude. Thank you for reminding us because we so easily forget that there is goodness all around us. And everyone on the outside looking in said, oh my goodness, I would love to be a part of that moment. And guess what? We as the people of God get to create missional moments like that, that the watching world gets to say, you know what? I'm tired of the toxicity and the verbal violence in the culture. I'm tired of it, and I need something refreshing because it's killing my soul. I've got a little hell on earth, and I don't know what to do with it. And the people of God get to say, come experience the goodness of God and hear about our gratitude, and you can be a part of that. It grounds us in God's reality. Finally, gratitude understands the gift. It understands the gift. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So here's a colony of lepers. And leprosy was a disease that would eat away your skin and it could get into your nerve endings and it could actually cause you to lose appendages, fingers or uh, hands or maybe toes and feet. And it was very painful. could cause you to lose uh, parts of your upper lip. And so the colony of lepers had to be uh, excommunicated from the church and excommunicated from their families and they would walk around. And when they got near people, they'd have to cover their upper lip and shout out, unclean, unclean. And can you imagine the suffering that they felt, not just physically, but socially, they were cut off. It was a quarantine for them until they were healed. And Jesus has compassion on them. And he says in in step with Levitical law, go show yourselves to the priests. And on their way, they get healed and they get cleansed. And one, one comes back. He comes back and he's giving praise to God and giving gratitude to Jesus. He knew this now enables me to go back to church. This enables me to be back as a father and provide for my family. I get to kiss my wife again. I get to hold my kids again. I get to be around people again. And he saw the moment for what it was and he knew everything that he'd been rescued from. And because of that, he came back with gratitude. Gratitude is a present response to a past movement of grace. And they're everywhere. But Jesus' question is a bit haunting. Where are the other nine? Where indeed? Where are the other nine? We have a famous member of our family. She's the most famous member of the Myers family. It's our great Dane, Chewbacca. We have a picture of her. Everybody knows Chewbacca. Chewbacca. She likes to sit in chairs and in truck chairs and van chairs like she's an adult. She loves uh, a Starbucks pup cup filled with whipped cream. She knows the word Starbucks somehow and we roll down the window and she stares the barista down intently until the barista gives her the pup cup. And Chewy, everywhere we go, people are like, oh, hey, Chewbacca. I'm like, how do you know, how do you know Chewy? She doesn't have a social page. How do you know her? Everywhere we go, people know Chewy. And Chewy can get mouthy. She can give us a lot of backtalk. She's one of our most backtalky children. And uh, the other day, she was giving me lip. I think we figured it out. Uh, we know that when she's hungry, she starts to give us lip. And so when she's hungry, she comes and she just stares at you like this, like right in your face. She'll just stare at you. And if you don't do anything, she'll put a paw up on you, and then she'll start to grumble at you and she will talk to you, and it'll be like, rom, 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 rom. and you'll say, whoa, what's the problem, Chewy? What's, what, slow down there a little bit, and then she'll talk to you again. Rom, 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 rom. And we've learned to decipher her talk. That, okay, she's hungry. So I got up. She was grumbling I mean, I got up to give her some food, and I reached down to the bag, filled the cup up, and I put it in the bowl, and Chewy goes over to the bowl, and she takes a bite of food, and she comes back, and she chews it, and she takes another bite of food, and she comes back, and she chews it, and I was across the room in the kitchen and then she looks at me and she came over to me and as she was coming over to me, she was wiggling her tail. She was wiggling her whole body and she leaned up into me and she was shaking with gratitude. And I think this leper knew that he was a dependent person, that everything he needed he couldn't give to himself that he needed rescue and he needed someone strong to rescue him and he did and he cleansed him and he healed him and this leper came back shaking and wiggling with gratitude. May we be those types of people. And he understood the seriousness of his situation. When we understand the gravitas of our situation, we find the proper gratitude for our salvation. When we start to realize how deeply we fall short and how we've been set free based on no merit of our own. We start to find the proper gratitude for our salvation. Brennan Manning said this. He said, how do you know? How do you know if someone really trusts God? I could take 10 people and I could say, do you trust God? And every single one of them would say, I trust God. And he would say, okay, how would you know? He said, I would take a camera and a microphone and I would plan it on them for the next month and I would listen and watch, and how could you even know if someone really, truly trusted God? He would say this, the one who trusts God has an abiding spirit of gratitude. That they know that it is God who gives all good things, gives it to us to enjoy, gives it to us to express gratitude, gives it to us because it pleases a loving Father to give good gifts to people. And we do Express our gratitude for those things. So, how do we become people of gratitude? And I'll close very briefly with this. We practice it continuously. A few years ago, I decided to do this. I decided I have a habit. I wake up every morning, and the first thing I do is I get a um, tall, strong, black cup of coffee and I find a place to be alone. I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. I know you don't believe me, but it's true. And I get alone and I sit and I meditate and I pray and I think, I just am alone with my thoughts. And a couple years ago, when I was in this hellish place, I said to myself, something's got to change. And I'm going to spend the first part of every day and I'm going to do the hard work of finding gratitude and I'm going to express things that I'm genuinely grateful for. Not fake, not phony, but genuinely grateful for. And I began to do that. And now it's a habit. And I tell you the truth, it has changed my internal world. I'm not perfect, and I still complain. It has changed my internal world where I think I'm on track to becoming more of a heavenly creature than that hellish creature. So we practice it continuously. We give it generously. To give generously means that we see all the brokenness in the world, but we realize that is not all there is, and it doesn't have the last word that we see the goodness of God, that God really is at work in this world today and he really is at play in this world today and there are many things to give thanks for. So we give it generously. Lastly, we express it explicitly. If we don't just throw generic prayers of gratitude, when we express gratitude, we don't just say I'm grateful for somebody. When we express it, we tell them exactly why. I'm grateful for you because of this. And we tell God, I'm grateful for what you provided because of this. John Kralik wrote a book called A Simple Act of Gratitude and in the first 10 pages, he describes himself like this. I was miserable, I was broke, I was overweight and I was going through my second divorce. I lived in a crummy apartment in LA with no AC. He was an attorney who couldn't even afford to pay his employees a Christmas bonus because his clients weren't even paying on time. That same holidays over New Year's, he went out on a hike on New Year's and he said he had an epiphany. He said, I couldn't find any reason to be thankful, but on New Year's Day, I made this resolution. I am going to write one letter expressing gratitude each day this year for a total of 365 letters. And he did it. And he said, I will tell you the truth, it changed my life. It didn't necessarily change all the circumstances, but it changed my attitude towards all those circumstances. And to this day, he has written and received 2,000 letters of gratitude. May we be a people who maybe today make small choices going forward and build small habits that mark us collectively as a grateful people for God's sake and for this world's sake. Let's pray together. Father, we're overwhelmingly grateful for you. We're humbled and we're thankful for your love that you give us freely in Christ. We're grateful for our upbringing and where we get to live. We're grateful for food and friends and family. We're grateful for faith because you say it's a gift. So thank you grateful for this church for the leadership for the people Father some of us we've created a little culture of hell in our lives and we need to repent and we need to turn around and we need your grace to do it some of us feel grateful but we haven't said it explicitly help us do that some of us maybe have given up on being grateful because we're just so fatigued and overwhelmed. Renew us and refresh us once again. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.